Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 157. It's December 1st, 2015. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at InvestableWealth.com. Well, we are almost at the end of the year. I hope you had as enjoyable of a Thanksgiving as I did. We had a very enjoyable and blessed time with our family. Three of my six children were able to make it back home. And so it was great to see everybody. And as always, it was just as good when they gathered up their things and went back onto their own home. You know, one of the blessings of being a parent is seeing your children grow up, mature, and move out and live on their own. Well, I'm not there yet. I don't totally have an empty nest, but we're getting close. Not that I'm counting down the days until the youngest princess leaves the nest, but I'm just saying. Well, in this episode, we have a lot to talk about. I'm going to review kind of a market status give you an update on what I think is happening with the stock market. And we're going to wrap all this up uh, as we talk about the IMF bringing the Chinese uh, yuan or the Chinese RMB, renminbi, depending upon what you want to call it, bringing that into their basket of currencies. We're going to talk about a lot of the pessimism that's going on about retail sales, the slowdown in manufacturing, all that and whatever else I can work in, we'll cover in this episode. Uh, this is going to run long. I think what I'm going to do is break it up into two parts. So here we go. Let's get started with part one. Hey, bad news is once again good news on Wall Street. All the major indexes were up today about 1%. That's a good start off for the month of December. You have to remember, as good as things have been in the last, oh, say seven or eight weeks, the S&P 500 only today is able to eke out a gain of 2% year to date. Now, I've mentioned throughout the year that it's likely that we could see a Santa Claus rally that generally happens towards the end of the fourth quarter. Um, it wouldn't have been hard for me to envision that the S&P 500 could close out around its previous highs somewhere around 2030, perhaps even get up as high as 2050. I thought that was really the limit, and that's why my exposure to the market this year has been relatively mild. Although I consider myself an active trader, I've sat on the sidelines for the vast majority of this year. I just didn't think the risk was worth the reward. That's why I put approximately 50% of my portfolio into the U.S. dollar. We'll talk a little bit more about that. I'll give you an update on where the U.S. dollar is as we get into this episode. But I want to emphasize that as we get now into December and we have less than 30 days less left in this year, it's looking more unlikely that the S&P will hit that 2030 or even move on to new highs at 2050. It took today's bad news to nudge the S&P 500 up to about a 2% year-to-date gain. I'm skeptical if they're going to be able to hold that. As I said, right now, bad news is good news on Wall Street. The reason we saw the bump in the indexes today was because manufacturing numbers came out soft. The European Central Bank is hinting that they're going to continue and maybe even double down on their stimulus program. Uh, we'll hear their announcement, I believe, on Thursday of this week. So the market is anticipating more easy money coming out of Europe because things remain very sketchy over there. Wall Street likes stimulus. They like the easy money. They like the bad news. That's good news for profits on Wall Street, at least in the short-term thinking. In a rational market, you could conclude that bad news eventually means that the economies are slowing down. We may be hitting the brakes here, or at least a speed bump, perhaps going into a recession. But that kind of talk doesn't make money on Wall Street. Nobody wants to talk about a bear market until it's undeniably apparent. 
And so with the circular reasoning on Wall Street, bad news is good news because that means that the central banks and the governments will continue to throw good money after bad and prop up this economy. Well, let's talk a little bit about market performance, and then I do want to get into some of the scare tactics and the chicken little comments I've been hearing in the media, and I've heard from you in the, in the listening audience, uh, your concerns about the, the Chinese yuan, the possibility that the U.S. won't be the uh, reserve currency, slowdown in retail sales, slowdown in manufacturing. We'll get to all that. Let's uh, review a little bit about the, what's going on in the markets. As I said, the S&P 500, although it was up 1% today, it's barely up 2% for the entire year. Over these last two trading sessions, the index has bounced up and above its 10-day moving average. I'll be surprised if it can hold that. The 200-day moving average is sitting right around 2065. So that's really the number you want to watch. That's about 2% below we are right now. I think that'll be the defining point as we go into December, as we hear on the uh, 15th or 16th of this month when the Federal Reserve either decides to raise interest rates 25 basis points or whether they keep it the same. We want to watch that 2065 on the S&P 500. We want to see if the market can hold that 200-day moving average. If it can't, I believe there's a high likelihood that it could drop down to 2035, which is the confluence of the 50 and the 100-day moving average. There's really no support between 265 and 235. I don't know how likely that is to happen. I don't have a crystal ball. I can't predict the future. But I remain cautious and pessimistic with this market. We need to see how long bad news can remain good news. I think if the S&P 500 can't hold its 5 or 10 day moving average, then we're going to see it go down and possibly find support at 2065. If support fails at 2065, watch for it to drop down to 2035. That's the next level of support. If for whatever reason there's a real shock to the system between now and the end of the year, you know, that could be another terrorist attack in Europe or maybe even something here in the U.S., uh, something that would threaten the health and the stability of the airline stocks. You know, anything along those lines, if something like that were to happen in the next 30 days and the S&P 500 would breach that support at the 50 and 100 day moving average, which is right around 2035, if it can't hold that, then the next level of support doesn't kick in until below 2000. You're probably looking at around 1990 for possible support. And again, if there was a really black swan event or some type of unanticipated event, then you could see us go back and test those lows that we hit back at the end of August. I don't know if that'll happen. I do remain convinced that this is an overbought market. It's an overvalued market. We have historically high valuations right now based on anticipated growth. This time last year, they were calling for double-digit growth, growth in earnings in the range of 10 or 11%. Because of all the losses in the energy sector, those numbers have been revised down to you know something along the lines of 5 or 6%. And so when you hear them saying that corporations are beating earnings expectations, that's because they've been dumbed down so much. They're continuing to say that next year we're going to get back to double-digit earnings growth and we'll see that 10% gain again. It's going to happen towards the end of next year, the you know the middle to the end of 2016 as the economy picks up momentum. Well, we've been hearing that same story for six years. As I look at the numbers, it looks like we're in a global slowdown. Commodity prices across the board from copper to agricultural products 
they continue to make lower highs and lower lows. There doesn't seem to be any type of growth coming out of Asia, coming out of specifically China or India. Despite all the government stimulus, there doesn't seem to be any growth coming out of those two large economies that is going to stimulate a need for commodities. And so thus, commodity-producing countries like Canada, like Australia, like Brazil, like Russia... They all continue to suffer. Even the Northern European countries, the Scandinavian countries that seem to have very stable economies, well, people forget that a lot of that stability comes from oil that's extracted from the North Atlantic. And with oil prices well below $50 a barrel, those economies and those countries are forced to cut back on spending, to increase stimulus, and to therefore devaluate their currencies. Canada is in recession. Brazil is experiencing their worst economy in about a 100 years. Japan has an improving stock market. Things do look like it's getting better over there. They have really good exports to the United States because of the strength of the U.S. dollar. But Japan does remain in recession. And then closer to home, we see territories like Puerto Rico on the verge of default. So the global slowdown isn't getting any better. Right now, America is charmed. We have a very strong economy. I believe we will see a Federal Reserve rate increase before the end of the year. That 25 basis points isn't going to make a difference one way or the other. The S&P 500 may close out the year at up 2 or 3%. It could go as high as 5 or 6% if we really do get a Santa Claus rally. But as I mentioned just earlier here, I would not at all be surprised if there's some type of shock to the system, trouble in the Middle East, a terrorist event in Europe. Any number of bad news events could happen, and if the S&P 500, which is hovering just above its 200-day moving average, if it can't hold that support, it's going down to that next support level around 2035, and that's a good 3.5% below where it is right now. If that was the case, then 2015 would finish out the year in the red. Although the S&P 500 index is above its 200-day moving average, which is a, a really crucial support level, you have almost half of the companies in the index below their 200-day moving average. That includes companies like Apple, Berkshire Hathaway's, Procter & Gamble, Walmart, Verizon, Oracle, Chevron, Merck, Cisco, IBM, United Health Group, Walgreens, United Technologies, Goldman Sachs. I mean, the list goes on. The strength that we've been seeing in this economy throughout the year has been concentrated in a minority of stocks, and that's very evident on the NASDAQ, which actually is up significantly year-to-date. But most of those gains, as I mentioned, are within a very uh, concentrated within a very small number of stocks. Things like Google, Facebook, Amazon. These are companies that, in my opinion, have very stretched valuations. They're overbought, and I believe they're due for a correction. Now, I'm not saying that these aren't good companies. I think the ad revenue generated by Facebook is phenomenal. And likewise, the ad revenue that comes in to Google is unprecedented in history. You're seeing all the ad revenues that used to take place spread out across all media. Print media, broadcast media, everything that would have been on the cable networks, uh, the major broadcast networks like ABC, NBC, CBS, all the major newspapers like the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and then all the regional papers as well as all the magazines. Things like Time and Newsweek, People Magazine, the National Enquirer, 
all that money that traditionally went into those type advertising over the last 10 to 15 years, it's migrated into digital media. The biggest and the best recipients of that have been Google and Facebook. I don't see that changing anytime soon. There is also spillover effect to other companies, which will also profit from this advertising. Some of the social media companies that have a, a strong niche and an attachment and affinity group, things like LinkedIn. But I believe they've gotten ahead of themselves. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see a pullback in those leaders. Not that they're not going to perform, not that they're not going to earn a lot of income. It's just that their valuations are stretched very high right now. Speaking of stocks that have gotten ahead of themselves, you heard me just mention the Berkshire Hathaway. That's Warren Buffett's company. They're down currently below their 50-day moving average. They had gotten ahead of themselves. They finished out last year with what was, in my opinion, a very high valuation based on a lot of hope but no substance, and we've seen that come to fruition. I have a podcast episode that if you're not familiar with, um, go back and listen to my episode entitled You're Not Warren Buffett. I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but you always see so many advertisements and marketing that either feature his image or his name, and people in the financial industry use that to kind of rope you in and to tell you secrets of the billionaires or what stocks Warren is buying. I think a lot of that is phony baloney information. You're not Warren Buffett. The techniques he uses won't help you because you're someone in the middle class. He's in a whole different universe of an investor. Um, I will say to all of you that know that you're not Warren Buffett, well, you should be thankful because Berkshire Hathaway stock this year is down over 9%. So be grateful you're not Warren Buffett. As far as big blue chip stocks, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is barely positive for the year. It only broke out above its 200-day moving average just about two weeks ago. And just like the S&P 500, you have nearly half of the constituencies of those blue chip stocks under their 200-day moving average. Some of those I mentioned before because they're also part of the S&P 500, but that would be Apple Computer, American Express, Caterpillar, Cisco, Merck, Procter & Gamble. In some cases, these are not only stocks that are not performing well, but I think they're suffering from a, a large extent of valuation expansion. They're, they're overbought even at these lower levels. Procter & Gamble, even though it hasn't performed well, even though, though it's below its 200-day moving average, its price per earnings ratio is nearly 25 times earnings. In the energy sector, Chevron, again, well below its 200-day moving average. Uh, some people are betting that we're going to see oil and petroleum prices increase as we go into 2016. I'm not in that camp. You've heard me talk about how there is so much pipe in the ground right now with the fracking and the horizontal drilling that every time we get above $50 a barrel, more of those wells are going to come back online. It's a sunk cost. I think we're going to have to see either a lot of trouble in the Middle East or a lot of oil companies defaulting and going bankrupt. I'm talking about the smaller ones, the little wildcatters. You don't have to worry about Chevron or, or ExxonMobil going out of business. But if these smaller marginal producers go out of business, that might help get the price of oil up. If we have hostilities in the Middle East, that might help the price of oil go up. But short of those things happening, I think we're going to continue to see oil in the $40 to $50 range. At times, we'll see it dip lower than that. It may occasionally get above 50 I don't think it's going to 60 anytime soon because in the United States, with the shale oil producers, we have something like 1,500 oil rigs that are in mothballs that can easily be turned back on. 
there's a good 10 to 20% oil reserve that can literally be turned on in a matter of a week. So Chevron right now, I believe overvalued, trading at 20 times earnings. Verizon, although an extremely good company, it pays a hefty dividend. It's trading at over 18 times earnings. United Health, it's having problems. You've heard of the issues that the insurance companies are having with the Affordable Care Act. Over half of the original 22 co-ops that were formed specifically for Obamacare are now either defunct or have totally gone out of business. Well, United Healthcare, I think, will continue to see problems going into 2016 with younger people and healthier people dropping out of the system, refusing to pay those higher premiums. It's trading at nearly 19 times earnings. I think that's too high. When you look at the companies on the Dow Jones Industrial Average that are doing well, that are above their 200-day moving average, I think you see a great deal of valuation expansion there. Companies that are way overvalued. McDonald's at about 25 times earnings. Now, that's a turnaround candidate, but I don't think it's worth 25 times earnings. Home Depot, they've got a great franchise. They're not expanding, but at the same time, they're seeing more foot traffic into their stores because people are buying new homes, people are remodeling their homes. So that's all good for Home Depot. But at the same time, its valuation is 25 times earnings. Coca-Cola with major hurdles in front of it, issues with the strong U.S. dollar, issues with changing demographics and changing consumer tastes. It's well above 27 times earnings. Microsoft, because it had a good announcement about possible expansion into the cloud technology sector, it's now trading at over 37 times earnings. These are really pie-in-the-sky projections. These are things that are priced for perfection, and we're going into an election year. We're going into a market that's going to have a lot of turbulence because of the things that are going to come out of the politicians' mouths that are, that are running for office and trying to buy votes. They're going to pick a lot of boogeymen in the market. We've seen how the biotechs and the medical stocks have suffered because of comments from politicians. That's not likely to change for the next 8 to 12 months. The bankers will be targets. As I look at the 30 companies on the Dow Jones Industrial Average, if I had to just pick one stock that I'd put my money in right now, I would put it in Traveler's Insurance Company. I don't necessarily think that that's going to be spectacular and outperform the market, but it's discounted heavily right now. It's a solid company. It has a good valuation. It pays a dividend. I'm not currently invested in it. But if I could only choose one stock right now from the big blue chips, I think that would be the one I'd put it in. The small cap stocks continue to lag all the major indexes. The uh, Russell 2000, that's the index that tracks the, two, the 2,000 smallest companies on, on the stock market. They're barely in the positive area for a year-to-date performance. They're lacking behind the Dow Jones Industrial Average. If we're going to see this market take off, I think you're going to see it first in those smaller companies. I say that because one of the major headwinds for this economy right now is the overall slowing global economy and also for the strength in the U.S. dollar. That hurts multinational companies. That hurts the big blue chip companies. That hurts the exporting companies like Caterpillar. And so the ones that should do the best would be the U.S. domestic focused companies, the smaller companies that have less exposure to currency exchange rates, those that don't export products but rather sell them here in the U.S. where the economy is the strongest. Those would be the ones that you would find on the Russell 2000, and yet they're barely positive year to date. So that's a concern. That's a red flag to me. As we look overseas and we look to Germany, that's really the only bright shining spot in Europe, and Germany is not doing well. 
Year-to-date, the German stock market is measured by EWG ETF. It's down half a percent for the year. I think that Germany is benefiting and will benefit the most in Europe because of the stronger dollar. That means better exports for Germany. I think the lower fuel costs are also helping Germany because unlike countries like the Scandinavian countries up north or the United Kingdom or even France, which have uh, oil reserves and energy producing, Germany lacks that. So Germany will benefit the most in Europe from these lower uh, sustained energy costs that I think that we're going to see. But despite all that, the German economy is faltering. I think that's going to continue. They're going to have a lot of problem absorbing the refugees from Syria and the money that's being spent in Europe to strengthen defense and to fight terrorism. I think that's going to be a drag on the economies over there. That's why the European Central Bank is rumored to be talking about escalating their easy money policy. And then something you might not be aware of is that Germany is a major exporter to China. They import a lot of the high-tech and high-precision equipment that the factories in China run on. And since those factories are at overcapacity and there's a real slowdown in China, and there's no way they're going to hit their 7% official growth rate. More than likely, they're going to probably have a real rate of something around maybe 45 5% growth in China. Well, that's hurting Germany's export business. Also with the global slowdown pr primarily emanating from Asia, Germany is not exporting as, as much of their automobiles over there. The automobile industry makes up about 20% of Germany's GDP. So while a lot of cars are still being purchased in the U.S. because our economy is strong, it's not that way in China. And China is a big importer of German cars, particularly the luxury cars. And then when you consider the problems that are going on with Volkswagen, and I don't think that's over or that that's been resolved yet, any negative effect to Volkswagen will have a direct impact on, on Germany's GDP. And that's because Volkswagen is the world's largest automobile manufacturer. A lot of people don't realize that. Volkswagen's share of the U.S. auto market hasn't been that great in recent years, but they are dominant throughout the world. And if they continue to go uh, into this slump that they're in, that will have an impact across the board to the German economy, which relies so heavily on their industrial base and on their automotive business in particular. I'll just close out the discussion on the world economy to, to look at two countries, and that would be China and Brazil. Year-to-date, the Chinese economy is in the green. It's in the black. The Shanghai index is up oh, probably somewhere around 6.5% year-to-date. However, if you come off the highs that the Shanghai hit back in the early part of the summer, well, that market is still down probably close to 45%. There are billions, if not trillions of dollars from the Chinese consumer that have been lost in that market. That's money that can't be used to purchase services or products. I don't know how directly we can relate it as a cause, but it's definitely one of the symptoms of the problem and the slowdown in China. Don't expect that to get better. Recently, the Chinese stocks have had a few good trading sessions. That's mostly because the IMF, as I alluded to earlier, has incorporated the renminbi or the Chinese yuan into their basket of currencies, but I don't see that helping the market long term. Not the Chinese market, at least. The other global market I wanted to comment on is Brazil. Brazil is having their worst economy in like 100 years. Year to date, their stock market performance is down something close to 40%. Their currency has been drastically devaluated. They're an export country. And as I've said before, all exports are down and they're going to remain down. As long as oil stays below $50 a barrel, 
Everything becomes cheaper. Everything devaluates. That includes agricultural products, petroleum products, minerals, mining products. Brazil had major expansion over the last decade because commodity prices were so high. Well, they squandered that money and now commodity prices are collapsed. And if they continue to stay low, you're, you're going to see countries like Brazil on the, on the verge of currency crises and possible defaults. The Brazilian debt has already been downgraded to junk status. This is the type of global economy that we have to look forward to as we go into 2016. Well, let's wrap things up for this episode. I think we've gone long enough for today. Like I said, we're going to make this a two-part series. We still have a lot of information to cover about retail sales and manufacturing and what's going on on Wall Street. So join me on the next episode where we pick up where we left off. Until then, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best of returns.